Come, Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and make our hearts your place of rest. Come with your grace and heavenly aid, and fill the hearts which you have made. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Pentecost. Suddenly, a sound like a rushing wind came from heaven and filled the entire house. No wind, just the sound. A sound that we would presume is so loud and long that it drew the attention of all kinds of people around Jerusalem, and yet deafened none who were in the house. It was a sound so precise and localized that the people who heard it could follow it to that specific house where the disciples were. There, divided tongues as a fire appeared to the disciples of Jesus. This group consists of male and female, young and old, and those tongues as a fire rested on each one of them. Not actual fire, but something supernatural, something as of fire rested over each one, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the curse of Babel, is reversed, not by uniting all languages back into one, but by the one gospel being proclaimed in all the languages of the earth, that all the people of the earth, every nation, language, and tribe might know that Christ died for us, that all our sins are forgiven, that we have peace with God. Nothing is better than Pentecost. But without the cross, there could be no Pentecost. There can be no coming of the Holy Spirit unless the unholy spirit is first overcome. So the theology of Pentecost goes all the way back to the Garden in Eden. In listening to the lies of the serpent, the lies of the unholy spirit, man chose to have this unholy spirit as the god of this world. So we see that the very first proclamation of the gospel is spoken not directly to Adam or to Eve, but rather to this unholy spirit. The Lord says to him, the seed of the woman will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. And that promise God kept. On the cross, the heel of the Lord was indeed struck. And on the cross, the head of the unholy spirit was indeed crushed. The unholy spirit who made us unholy who made us slaves to sin and to death. All his works were undone once and for all by Jesus on the cross. Sin is undone. Death is undone. And these have been replaced by the things of our Lord, forgiveness, life, and salvation. So with the unholy spirit thoroughly defeated, the Holy Spirit once more comes. There's no Pentecost without the cross. Unless I go away, the Helper will not come, Jesus said. If I go, I will send him to you. 
So we see that Jesus was crucified for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. He ascends into heaven that the Holy Spirit might descend to us and fill our world once more. So the theology of Pentecost does indeed go all the way back to the garden. It also goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel and to the scattering of all peoples under God's judgment. All people are now being drawn back together to be one people under Christ and him crucified and risen. One redeemed and forgiven people under God. And the theology of Pentecost also goes back to God's institution of the festival of Pentecost in the Old Testament. The word Pentecost itself means the 50th day. It was to be celebrated the 50th day after the Passover lambs were slaughtered. And this means for us one all-important thing. When God sends the Holy Spirit 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is confirming that this Jesus is our Passover lamb, slain for us at twilight, that God would pass over our sins. The body of this lamb of God is eaten. His blood is painted, not on the doorway of our houses, but on our mouths, on the very doorway of our bodies, bodies that will be raised from the dead just as he is risen, bodies that will be our everlasting home. The angel of death passes over us. We who deserve death, for the wages of sin is death. Death passes over us, all because of the blood of the Lamb, all because of the blood of Jesus. The Hebrew festival of Pentecost was also a celebration of the earthly harvest and the ingathering of the crop. And so, the 50th day after Christ, our Passover lamb, is slain, that Pentecost is also a festival of the harvest. But it is a festival of the spiritual harvest and a festival of the great ingathering of souls into the one holy Christian church. So what we Christians commemorate today is that that Pentecost, which took place 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, is the final Pentecost, just as it is an ongoing Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come, and he continues to come. The unholy spirit has lost his place, and he continues to lose his place. The Holy Spirit is making us holy and gathering us into the Holy Christian Church. So that leads us to a question then. Where, today, is the Holy Spirit to be found? The answer is, wherever Christ is preached, wherever Christ is given. For Christ is the one who has crushed the head of the unholy spirit and undone all of his work. And our Lord Jesus Christ tells us plainly what the Holy Spirit will do. He will take the things that are mine, says Jesus, and declare them unto you. This means, first and foremost, that the righteousness of Jesus is declared to be your righteousness. 
and it's yours all by grace, through faith and apart from works. Without any merit or worthiness in you, God has clothed you in the perfect righteousness of his Son. Your sinful thoughts, your sinful words, your sinful deeds have all been nailed to the cross in the body of Christ Jesus. And now all his righteousness, his righteous thoughts, his righteous words, his righteous deeds have all been credited to you and credited to you freely. It's almost too much to take in, this gospel. When Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, he preaches one of the greatest, if not the greatest sermons a sinner has ever preached. From the scriptures, he preaches and proves to the crowd of Jews that they not only crucified the true Messiah, but that God has now raised this true Messiah from the dead. Jesus lives and reigns. The crowd was cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. In other words, what Peter is teaching is that Pentecost continues, not only through the preaching of Christ crucified, but Pentecost continues through baptism. For just as Peter says, this baptism is, one, for the forgiveness of sins, and two, for the giving for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. More on that in a minute. But this means then that at our 8 a.m. service today, when Annabel Geigel was baptized, we witness nothing less than the continuation of that first Pentecost. The unholy spirit is being cast out. The Holy Spirit is entering in right before our very eyes. What we witness in holy baptism is nothing less than a miracle of God and the fruit of the cross of Jesus. He has crushed the head of the unholy spirit and he now sends his Holy Spirit to reign once more. Now, back to what Peter was saying. And this is absolutely essential for us to realize that baptism isn't just about the forgiveness of sins. That's the first part. Baptism is also about receiving the Holy Spirit and becoming a new creation. That's foundational. That's fundamental. Because then Christianity, too, isn't only about the forgiveness of sins, but Christianity is also about the receiving of the Holy Spirit and the becoming, of a, new, and the becoming a new creation. About seven years before his death, in 1539, when Luther's theology was about as mature as Luther's theology gets, this is what he wrote. That is why my antinomians 
that is what my antinomians too are doing today. What's an antinomian? Someone who despises the law, basically. And Luther was fed up with the truncating of Christianity down to simply the forgiveness of sins as if Christianity consisted of nothing else. That is what my antinomians too are doing today who are preaching beautifully and as I cannot but help but think with real sincerity about Christ's grace, about the forgiveness of sin and whatever else can be said about the doctrine of redemption. But they flee as if it were the very devil, the consequence that they should tell the people about the third article of sanctification, that is, of the new life in Christ. They think that one should not frighten or trouble the people, but rather always preach comfortingly about grace and the forgiveness of sins in Christ, and under no circumstances use these or similar words. Listen, you want to be a Christian? and at the same time remain an adulterer, a whoremonger, a drunken swine, arrogant, covetous, a usurer, envious, vindictive, malicious, etc. Instead, they say, listen, though you are an adulterer, a whoremonger, a miser, or other kind of sinner, if you but believe you are saved, and you need not fear the law, Christ has fulfilled all. Tell me, my dear man, is that not granting the premise and denying the conclusion? It is indeed taking away Christ and bringing him to naught at the same time that he is most beautifully proclaimed. And it is saying yes and no to the same thing. For there is no such Christ that died for sinners who do not, after the forgiveness of sins, desist from sins and lead a new life. Luther continues, Thus they preach Christ nicely with Nestorian and Eutychian logic that Christ is and yet is not Christ. They may be fine Easter preachers, but they are very poor Pentecost preachers. For they do not preach about the sanctification by the Holy Spirit, but solely about the redemption of Jesus Christ although Christ, whom they extol so highly, and rightly so, is Christ. That is, he has purchased redemption from sin and death so that the Holy Spirit might transform us out of the old Adam and into the new man. We die unto sin and live unto righteousness, beginning and growing here on earth and perfecting it beyond, as St. Paul teaches. Christ did not earn only gratia, grace, for us, but also donum, the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that we might have not only forgiveness of, but also cessation of sin. Now he who does not abstain from sin but persists in his evil life must have a different Christ, that of the antinomians. The real Christ is not there. Even if all the angels would cry, Christi, Christi, he must be damned with this, his new Christ. Thus far Luther, the whole thing, 
May the Holy Spirit send us pastors who are not only fine Easter preachers, but also fine Pentecost preachers. Pastors who preach not only the forgiveness of sins, but also the coming of the Holy Spirit and the new creation that he is working in us. Well, you've heard me preach about Pentecost, and you've heard Luther preach about Pentecost. Let's end with one of the greatest Pentecost preachers of all, St. Paul. In a letter to a young pastor named Titus, St. Paul preached this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, even on the internet. Well, Paul didn't write that. (laughs) To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Thus far, St. Paul, all of it. Let us pray that the Holy Spirit would give us preachers like St. Paul, preachers like Luther. For we know that the Holy Spirit has been poured out for us, He has been poured out upon us, and he has been poured out into us. And he will drive the unholy spirit away, both now and forever. Come, Holy Ghost, creator blessed, and make our hearts your place of rest. Come with your grace and heavenly aid, and fill the hearts which you have made. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.